Uh, this is a big weekend for us. It's our kickoff weekend for a fall campaign. And so thanks for being here. Um, we're headed into a series, a growth series for us. And so if it's your first time here, you're coming at a great time. We're going to uh, grow together as a church. And so we do something all together. We study um, something and we have a couple different ways that you can engage in it. And our, our prayer is, my prayer for you, is that you'll really grow through this next uh, seven, eight weeks. And that's the point of it. We recognize that we all need to grow and uh, we need help with that. Um, our tendency isn't necessarily to grow. And so I try to provide as a pastor, just give those opportunities, give us a little encouragement, right? And so that's the goal here. And so hopefully you can engage in this and really experience that. Um, the fall campaign is called Perfect Love. And our heart for you is that you would experience, experience the power of perfect love. And of course, perfect love comes from God. God is love and uh, he pours out his love on us. And what I really know about myself is when you experience that love, it changes everything, change your life completely. And so uh, today, as we kick off this series and this campaign, the message today is called the power of love. I wonder what the craziest thing that love has ever made you do. What's the craziest thing? Love can make us do crazy things. Um, any of you uh, grow up in the 80s, you know, junior high, high school? Yeah, a few hands. A couple of songs come to mind from my high school days. There's a song that the, pretend, or the proclaimers sang, 1988, called I Would Walk 500 Miles. But I would walk 500 miles and I would walk 500 more just to be the man who walks a thousand miles to fall down at your door. That's kind of cheesy, but, but sometimes God's, guys sound that way, right? But I think maybe a better one was written a few years before that by Huey Lewis. By the way, I'm not promoting or endorsing these songs. I'm just telling you examples, okay? 1985, Huey Lewis sang song, The Power of Love. Said the power of love is a curious thing. Makes uh, one man weep, makes another man sing. Change a hawk into a little white dove. I don't know what that means. What? Why do these guys write songs? You're like, I think there's some drugs involved. <laughs> that makes no sense. Okay, more than a feeling, that's the power of love. You don't need money, don't need fame, don't need no credit card to ride this train. It's strong and it's sudden and it's cruel sometimes but it might just save your life. That's the power of love. You know, love is powerful, it's crazy. Um, love has changed the course of my life. There's no question that love just sent me on a direction, set me on a course in life that I would have never anticipated, never seen. And a couple times that happened to me that really changed my life. One, of course, when I was a little kid and I encountered Jesus, but the other one happened when I got to college and I was not looking for anything except to get right with God and follow him. And, and yet um, something happened the first week of school. I met this uh, little farm girl who was pretty interesting in lots of ways. And her name was Mary. And she grew up on a little farm in, in between Sargent and Broken Bow, Nebraska. And uh, her family homesteaded the land that they still lived on a hundred years, 
before I met her, more than 100 years, and she lived in the same house her entire life. It blew my mind. She went to a one-room schoolhouse. I read about those in Little House on the Prairie. (laughs) Really? Couldn't believe it. But we met and connected pretty quickly and really... The center of the connection really oriented around our faith, our walk with Jesus. We found ourselves in the same place spiritually. We had not been really living for God, doing things we shouldn't do, not really living for him, but we knew we should. We grew up in those kind of homes and we made decisions to trust Christ at four and five years old. Of course, she was at four, girls are always ahead, but, but I came along pretty quick thereafter, right? Um, but anyway, we both made those decisions really young and so we knew Jesus, and we knew how we should live, but we got to this point in life where we hadn't been doing it, but we were ready to recommit ourselves. We were ready to go all in, follow Jesus. And so our story kind of goes like this. We met the first week of college. Our first interaction, she beat me at ping pong. Camp champion. Who knew that? We hung out. We talked for about three hours on the hood of her car. We confessed our sins to each other, told each other things we'd never told anybody in ways we'd never done before. We declared our love for Jesus and for and our commitment to follow him. A week or two later, she went home to break up with her high school boyfriend. I went on a camping trip with some friends from school. She came back from that weekend trip away single. I came back with a new girlfriend. Just telling you how it happened. I'm not proud of it, but it's how it happened. She was mad for about a month. I took about a month to get things figured out. Again, girls can be a little faster than boys at some things. I asked her to forgive me, be my girlfriend. She said, yes, but it better not happen again. It did not. So a year and a half later or so, I got up on a cold winter Sunday morning to try to have a conversation with a very large, intimidating Norwegian farmer who happened to be her father. I was a little nervous. I knew him pretty good, but I was a little nervous. I need to ask an important question. Can I marry your daughter? Somehow, I caught him at the right moment, and he said yes. So I asked her. And she said yes. Now our, our college professors said, wait, wait. We said, we are struggling to wait. <laughs> the Bible gives a solution to that, which is to get married. You won't finish school, they said. We said, yes, we will finish school. Well, we got married in the summer, July 7th, 1990. Sergeant Evangelical Free Church. I think it was an old Odd Fellows hall building, 110 degrees, 110% humidity, no air conditioning, and the room was full. She has lots of family. Did I mention her family homesteaded? So there's a lot of them, but it was a great day. I didn't pass out because somebody said, don't lock your knees. I listened. We did go back to school in the fall. She got her RN degree, and I got a BS degree. (laughs) Um, 
Years later, three kids that have all grown up, three grandkids, and I'm sure there's more on the way. She is a saint and an angel. I am lucky she is. By God's grace, we made it 33 years. By God's grace, we'll make it a few more. And as Mary always says, the picture on the bedroom wall testifies our favorite love story is ours. Mary and I are blessed beyond measure because God put us together and kept us together. And that's not been an easy task. But as amazing as that love story is to us, the love story about how God loves you and me is far greater. It is revolutionary. Certainly, our love story has changed our lives, but God's love story between us and him um, has changed everything for the course of human history and the course of the human race. And so we need to understand it. Once you experience God's love, this is what I know, you'll never be the same. You will never be the same. You can't be the same once you've experienced God's love. Because God's love is defined by some ridiculous truths. It's all from him. So it doesn't matter about you. He loves you first. He, he loves you before you even came to being. He actually is a part of creating you. His love for you is immense and intense. It's without end. It's unconditional. And it can't be stopped. What I know is that once you experience the love of Jesus, then it will change you in such a way that if you really encounter Jesus and you really experience him, then that love will make you believe in him. It'll make you put your trust in him. That's kind of how it works. To uh, give an example of this, we want to look at John chapter 3 today, Gospel of John, if you want to turn there. We're going to be working our way through John's gospel. Three different scriptures we'll look at. Chapter 3, chapter 7, chapter 19. We start in chapter 3, and we encounter a guy named Nicodemus who has an encounter, he has an experience with Jesus. He experiences Jesus. And Nicodemus is a Pharisee, he's a religious leader, which means by definition that he did not believe in Jesus, and the Pharisees really were against Jesus, hardcore, and you'll see how much, pretty extreme measure, but um, Nicodemus is a Pharisee, but he has some curiosity uh, in Jesus. And so you've probably heard a story before, maybe if you haven't, it's interesting. Um, John chapter three, starting verse one, follow along as I read. There was a man named Nicodemus, a religious, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee, After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. 
So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher and yet you don't know these things, you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come into the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, probably You know, the Pharisees did question Jesus during the day, but their questioning was challenging. They were trying to trip him up. They're trying to expose him uh, to be what they believed he was, which is a false teacher. And so it was always challenging and aggressive, right? And it does seem like Nicodemus wanted to have a different kind of conversation. And so he comes at night when he won't be seen because it's a risk to come and talk to Jesus. It's not popular. It's not politically correct to go talk to Jesus. And so he comes at night. And we can see kind of what he thinks of Jesus by what he says. Rabbi, teacher, we know you're from God. Not you are God, right? He's not acknowledging he's the Messiah, but you're from God. You can do miracles. We know there's something to this. And so his greeting is polite and cordial and kind of acknowledges Nicodemus is an important teacher. He's got a position. And so he's kind of saying, Jesus, I'll give you a little bit of that peer-to-peer conversation. Of course, he's not peers with Jesus, but he doesn't know that. So Jesus hits him hard. I don't know if Jesus ever hit you hard, but he has me. He hits Nicodemus hard with some truth that challenges Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you can't get in the kingdom of heaven unless you've been born of water and the spirit. What? Or unless you've been born again first. And then Nicodemus is like, I can't. What are you talking about, Jesus? Because his mind doesn't grasp spiritual things. And so then Jesus explains, Nicodemus, you got to be born of water and the spirit. This is how it works. If you want to see the kingdom of heaven, it's a spiritual thing. You need to have a spiritual transformation. And Nicodemus can't understand. He spent his whole life following the rules, living with a law that was in the earthly realm, physical realm. And he had spent his whole life trying to manage his morality and live spiritually by obeying a list of rules. Been very religious. And Jesus like, that's not enough, Nicodemus. First of all, 
Nicodemus. You might think you're a good person. Maybe you've thought you're a good person because you're obeying a list of rules, doing what mom and dad taught you, what the church taught you. You thought, I'm a good person. Ever heard anybody say that? Maybe you thought it. Nicodemus was a good person. Probably better than most of us. Jesus like, Nicodemus, God bless you. Bless your little heart, as they say in the South. Bless your little heart, Nicodemus. You think you're a good person. You're not. And so, Nicodemus, you gotta be born of water and the spirit. What's water? Well, a lot of ideas about what water means when Jesus says it, but I think, best I can tell, it refers to John the Baptist was baptizing people. Okay, he came ahead of Jesus. He's baptizing them, not like the baptism we experience, which is after salvation, okay, after we trusted Christ. John's baptism was for the nation of Israel who already thought they were saved. They're God's people. They're keeping the law. They, they're Abraham's children. They're already, they're the ones going to heaven, okay? This is what they believed. But the problem is they were still stuck in their sin because they were following the rules, but they couldn't really follow the rules. The problem is if you're honest about yourself, the more you try to follow the rules, the more you realize you're not really living up to them. And if you're trying to follow God's rules, you really find that out. And so Nicodemus, not yet ready to acknowledge that, but Jesus is drilling into Nicodemus. He's hitting him hard with truth in love. And he's saying, Nicodemus, you're not right with God. You think you are, but you're not. You need to repent. Have you been baptized, Nicodemus, by John yet? Have you gone through that? Because the people are, they're understanding it, but the religious rulers, we're, you know, we're good. We got it together. We don't need to repent. What are you talking about? We're, we're the righteous ones. So Jesus got to address that, confront that. No, you're not. And then born of the spirit, which of course is the only way anyone has ever been or ever will be saved, which is the application of Jesus' death to their life by the Holy Spirit. Because in order for us to be saved, for anyone to be saved, we need the renewal and regeneration that comes from God. Remember last week, Ephesians 2.10, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew, recreated us, regenerated our lives in Christ Jesus. See, listen, the truth is though we're a bunch of human beings born into this world with life, we are the walking dead. We are physically alive, but we're spiritually dead. And this is a truth. A lot of people, it's an inconvenient, inconvenient truth. A lot of people don't want to acknowledge that. No, I'm good. I'm, I'm doing great. I feel great. What are you talking about? Everything's working for me. You don't understand, Pastor. I'm successful. I'm, I got it all. No, no, no. I'm, I'm fine. I'm good. Mm. Okay, I guess denial's not just a river in Egypt. <laughs> right? I mean, we can think we're okay, but we're not okay. You're not okay. Okay, and the more you can be honest with yourself and the more you can engage and encounter Jesus, you're gonna find that you're not. And that's not bad, okay? It's not the end of the world. It could be, but it's not. But it's something we kind of come to grips with. And so Jesus is trying to bring Nicodemus to a point of honesty and of real understanding about his condition, which is a loving act. It's, a, it's pure love coming from Jesus. And of course, it takes truth to help get him to that place. Here's what 1 Corinthians 15 says about the law. 
following the rules, for sin is the sting that results in death. Sin produces death. And the law gives sin its power. You don't know you're dying until you know what the rules are, what the standard is. Then as you try to follow the standard, you realize I can't follow the standard. Now the Pharisees, of course, just tried to manipulate the standard. They just manipulated the law. And we can do that too. But that's not honest. That's not truth. And so the rules, especially God's rules, just reveal to us that we really are stuck in our sin. But thank God, Paul says, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Nicodemus needed to encounter Jesus, and he did, and that encounter changes him. I believe, as we move forward into the rest of the book, the, new, the next encounters with Jesus, that Nicodemus believed in Jesus that night. He came up a skeptic to Jesus, and he came with uncertainty, non-belief, but curiosity. And that's usually where it starts for us. Who is Jesus? Okay, I've heard about him. What is this about? And then he had an encounter with Jesus, and he found out, what truth and love is all about. And that rocked his world. (laughs) And see, when you encounter love again, it changes us and it makes us a little crazy because we begin to do things that we're not quite in control of and that's what love does. And Nicodemus, we're gonna see, has a transformation in who he is, and we can see it because of what he does. Uh, As we move on in the story, you know, Jesus begins to preach, he begins to do his ministry, and more and more he grows in notoriety. People know who he is, he's doing miracles, which are gaining attention. Everybody acknowledges he's doing miracles. They see him, they've experienced him, and they're like, something's going on here. And of course, Jesus did miracles to bring people's attention to him. And then he taught, just like Nicodemus, he taught truth and love. And so he's He's given truth, he's exposing him to truth, and people are listening and they're trying to figure out who he is. It's difficult because they're not ready, just like Nicodemus wasn't ready for the spiritual truth coming from God, but they're trying and people are interested. And so crowds are gathering and it's growing this movement. And so in Judea, which is where Jerusalem is, the Pharisees are extremely frustrated with Jesus, extremely concerned, see him as a threat, And so they are seeking to cancel him. Cancel culture, not a new thing. It's happening in Jesus' era. And uh, instead of just canceling um, his YouTube page and demonetizing him, they want to kill him. That's what cancel culture looked like in Jesus' era. Let's get rid of him. And so they put out a price on his head. They put out, they had temple guards looking for him. People are looking for him. So Jesus goes to Galilee, gets out of Judea, and he's preaching there and he's doing miracles there. And again, his notoriety's growing. People, more and more people are coming to see him and listen. And he, Jesus has some brothers. And just like most of us in our families, Jesus' brothers are not believers in Jesus. You're not some, come on, you little punk. You know, they're not thinking he's great. I mean, he's the oldest, right? But they're not believing him. And so they say, hey, Jesus, there's a festival starting down in Jerusalem. You should go back to Judea. I don't know what their motives were. It wasn't to help him become famous. But they said, how are you gonna become famous, Jesus, rock star, if you don't go down where the people are? Go down to Jerusalem or do your miracles and then you'll become famous like you obviously want to do, right? And John tells us it isn't because they believed in him. 
Maybe they wanted to get him taken out. I don't know. But Jesus says, no, no, no. And he deflects that. But then he does go to Jerusalem, but he stays on the down low, incognito. He's under the radar. He's not exposing that he's there. He's not preaching and doing things. We're going to pick up the story, chapter 7, on the last day of the festival. And Jesus decides it's a moment to do something. And this is where we're going to run into Nicodemus again. Verse 37 of chapter 7, on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood up or stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who's thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare (coughs) rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Then he said, uh, when he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone. That's the Holy Spirit. To be given to everyone believing in him, but the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. Holy Spirit didn't come until Jesus went back to heaven. Verse 40, then when the crowds heard him say this, some of them declared, surely this man is the prophet we've been expecting. Others said, he's the Messiah. Still others said, but he can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? For the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where King David was born. So the crowd was divided about him. Some even wanted him arrested, but no one laid a hand on him. When the temple guards returned without arrest, having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring him in? We've never heard anyone speak like this, the guards responded. Have you been led astray too, the Pharisees mocked. Is there a single one of us, rulers or Pharisees, who believes in him? This foolish crowd follows him, but they are ignorant of the law. God's curse is on them. They don't know what they're doing. Then, here he is, Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing, he asked. They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet ever comes from Galilee. Nicodemus is experiencing something. He's changing. See, his attachment to Jesus has grown. And so when Jesus is being accused and attacked and they're trying to kill him, Guess what Nicodemus finds out? He's in a spot. He's feeling it inside of him. I love Jesus. What they're saying is wrong. What they're trying to do is wrong. And so guess what he has to do? A crazy thing. When you fall in love with Jesus, when you encounter and experience his love, that love makes us speak up. It's like if somebody's talking about your wife or your kids, a good friend, you know, You're in a a conversation. Things are being said that aren't true. You're like, no. You're just, you got to say something. Now, Nicodemus is in this political environment. Jesus is not okay. Again, they want to cancel him and kill him. He's not okay. The political environment is you're not for Jesus. And if you are, you keep it quiet. So the crowds are talking about Jesus, trying to figure out who he was. It was whispers. It was conversations over here. Nobody could hear. We don't want to get 
videotape saying it. <laughs> we might end up in jail. I mean, it was, a, it was an intense environment. So nobody's talking about Jesus. And the, here's Nicodemus, a leader, and he's in the middle of the lion's den with the people who are trying to kill him. And Nicodemus is hearing this. We want to kill him. Where's he at? Why don't you get him? And you can just kind of picture, he feels his, his face is getting hot. He's feeling it well up in him. And he takes crazy, irrational action. No intelligent person would do what Nicodemus did. You don't say something when your life's on the line or when you could be whatever. You don't do that. Just let it go. Let it pass. Just live to fight another day. But see, he loves Jesus. can't be quiet. So he speaks up. Hey, just curious, don't we have a system here? Aren't there some laws we're supposed to follow? Just, just saying, oh, he got hammered for it immediately. I wonder if you've been, ever been in those spots. I know you have. If you are following Jesus, if you love him, I know you've been in those spots. Somebody's saying something. Somebody's saying something about God. Somebody's saying something about Jesus and you feel it. You feel it welling up in you, and if you're in love with him, if you're in love with him, you just, you kind of put caution to the wind, and you say something. You're like, wait a minute, that's not true. You don't understand what you're talking about. No, no, that's not the Jesus I know. No, no hold on. Let, 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 you know, let, let's work on it. I mean, but, but that's not easy, and there's always a risk to it. It may not be the risk that Nicodemus had to take, but there is a risk. People might look at you funny. Oh, are you one of those Bible thumpers? Oh, you're... You drink, you're drinking too much of the Jesus juice? Calm it down there, buddy, you know? Cool the jets, don't be so aggressive, you know? But, but hey, when you're in love with Jesus, you kind of can't shut your mouth. It kind of comes out anyway. You just... Nicodemus spoke up because he had to. If he would have been thinking, he wouldn't have. I've found in my life, there's those moments that I do speak up and say something, and then there's mo those moments that I let them go. I just go, man, I probably should, no. If it's up here in my head, I'll talk myself out of it a lot of times. If it's in my heart, then I'm not thinking about it. I'm just going to do it. And that's how my life has gone. I don't know about you, but I've found over a many, many years of trying to follow Jesus that if my passion and fire is hot, if I love Jesus and I'm engaged in my relationship with him, if I'm growing and experiencing him in my life, if I'm involved in the right things in my life, then I usually speak up. But if I'm beat up, tired, worn out, things aren't working, discouraged, I'm not engaged, I'm not involved with Jesus like I should be, that I usually let him pass on by. Jesus told his disciples before he sent them out on mission, 12 of them, he said in Matthew 10, 32, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven. But anyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Now, something to think about and it challenges me. Am I willing to speak up? Am I speaking up? Why am I not speaking up? Lots of reasons, but this fall campaign is meant to reignite or ignite for the first time your love for Jesus. Because I could beat you up about your sin patterns and your behavior and you're not doing your quiet time and you're not, come on guys, let's go. I could do that. 
And that's been done to me and almost never works. There's times I need a kick in the pants for sure. And I try to do the pastor push like I told you before. But the truth is that what pulls me into doing those things when I want to spend time with Jesus. And the reason I want to is because I'm in love with him. And that's just the way it works. And so I want you to be in love with Jesus. I want you to experience that. And so in this fall campaign, we got some things that might help. Again, I'm not presenting these like, you gotta do it, come on. I'm saying if you do these things, they can reignite or fuel your relationship with Jesus. If you don't know him yet, doing these things will help to help you encounter him, experience him. One of them, we got a little bookmark here. There's a memory verse on one side. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God Anyone and knows God. But anyone who does not love God does not know God, for God is love. And then we got a reading plan on the other side. We're going through 1 John in this fall campaign, so you can read through it. And we got life group lessons, and this is a lesson Pastor Luke's put together to help you learn. You'll go through... During the week leading up to the sermon, you'll go through it, what we're going to go through on the weekend in the sermon. And this is how I am. If I'm studying something ahead of time, reading it, then when I hear about it, hear a message on it, I get more out of it. And so again, we're just trying to help you grow. If you don't have a life group, then we have a big life group we're doing on Thursday nights here upstairs, six o'clock. And uh, these things could help ignite your growth, your passion for Jesus. They do that. That's how we work. It's just like a couple that I was doing marriage counseling with. I said, hey, guys, um, we're talking about relating with each other and growing our relationship. And I said to the young lady, if this young fella that you've fallen in love with and you're willing to marry him, if he came to you and proposed and said, hey, would you marry me? I love you. I think you're the most amazing woman in the world. You're like an angel to me. I'm ready to leave my father and mother and live the rest of my life with you. Would you marry me? And you said, yeah, I will. I, I think you do love me. And he said, great. I'll see you in a year at the wedding. <laughs> and then he went off and lived his life and didn't answer calls and didn't text and didn't respond to anything. I don't, sorry, I don't have any time for it. No, I, I got stuff to do over here. I said I'd marry you. Just hold on. What, what's wrong with you? I mean, well, I said, would you really be enthusiastic about marrying him? Would you go through with it? But I feel like at times that's what I do with God. I say, God, please forgive me. Come into my life and I'll see you in heaven. And I mean, we, we have a tendency to do that. So that's, that's not going to grow our lives like Jesus wants to grow them. And so we got to spend time together. If your marriage isn't working, a beginning point is spending more time talking, communicating. And it's awkward and it's hard. And there's usually some problems, there's offenses, there's hurts. So it can be tough, but that's the answer to reigniting and reconnecting is communication and time together. And that's what it is with Jesus too. I know in my life, the more disconnected I am, the less I'm involved with other Christians, the less I'm involved in Bible studies and life groups and being around other believers, the harder it is for me to be in love with Jesus. The last bit of the story with Nicodemus, we see how love continues to change him in John chapter 19. After Jesus is crucified, and buried, or excuse me, crucified, hanging on the cross. After he is dead, in Luke, or in John 19, verse 38, it says afterward, 
Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed, perfumed ointment made, for, or made from myrrh and aloe. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices and long sheets of linen cloth. The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb, never used before. And so because it was a day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. The last crazy thing that love will make you do, it makes all of us do it, is love makes us sacrifice. Nicodemus was probably there, I think, through the trial, through Jesus um, being beaten and everything that he went through through the crucifixion. I think Nicodemus was there. We have inside information on what happened there, and some of it was secret, happened at night, and I think maybe Nicodemus was there. He was a Pharisee, he could have been, and he had to be. He loved Jesus and what was happening out of control. And he could see that Jesus was going to die. He knew that's where it's going. He couldn't stop it, but he was going to be there with him. Romans 5 tells us that God loved us. He didn't wait until we had it all together, until we had our sin taken care of, but he came to us and sacrificed for us while we were still sinners. That's the kind of love that God has for you, the kind of love he has for me. Have you experienced God's love? Are you experiencing it? Are you walking in it? I know it's difficult at times, my love grows cold and I need to reignite it. I need to do something. And I'm telling you, the way we are as people, the way we reignite is we take action. We don't wait for feelings, but we take action in the right direction and then the feelings come, okay? And so we know what we should do and we act on what we know we should do and then we feel better or feel different. And so I just want to encourage you once again, maybe you need to get into Thursday night life group or a life group. Maybe you need to join a ministry team and get involved in serving. That's going to get you around believers. Encourage you. Maybe you need to get into a discipleship class on Sunday mornings, 930. Maybe you need to get into Wednesday night, 12-step. They're starting this week, men's and women's. Okay, there, there's room. Getting into 12-step is going to bring healing, right? If you have some hurts and hangups and you're just stuck, that can be a way to get things resolved and get healing so you can re-engage Jesus. How about maybe you need to get your kids to a WANA or youth group and say, hey guys, we, we need this in our lives because as a family, we need to be growing. And I know there's sports, I know there's other things, but man, maybe getting a little creative, figuring it out, right? I don't know, but these things matter, doing something matters. You don't just have to do things here at Mitchell Brian, but you can. <laughs> there's a lot going on here and we're trying to help you grow. As we listen to this last song, um, how deep the Father's love for us I just want you to consider it. Maybe there's a step you need to take. Have you really put your faith and trust in Jesus? Have you taken that step to cross the line into becoming a disciple, a follower? Have you experienced his love? Have you responded to it? Maybe you just need to take a step to reignite. Maybe you just need a step to keep growing. But I'm telling you, action is always required. That's required. That's why Jesus uh, called, he called his disciples, come follow me. 
Take a step, get up, get out of your seat and move. And I want that for you. And so let Jesus speak into your heart as this song plays. And then we'll take communion to end the service. How deep the Father's love for us is. More than you can imagine. You might be kind of numb right now. I'm just, I don't know if I need love. Listen, you need love. You need Jesus to break into your heart. Maybe there's some hardness there that's developed over time. Jesus can break that down and it'll change your life completely. I'm praying for you while you listen to this song. Why should 
Oh.